you thankful for the Lord, what he's done for you? You know, in a consumer society where the customer is always right, that there can become a mindset in us that we are owed something. Spirit of entitlement. And oftentimes, millennials are accused of being entitled and brats. Um, but any of us, if we don't watch it, can have this sense of entitlement. And we always, we always have to remember that it's nothing but by the grace of God that you are here today, that you have breath in your lungs, that you even exist, and that you are saved. Do you know that God owes you nothing? God owes you nothing. And so Hunter mentioned the judgment of God in the Old Testament, and oftentimes people point to that to point to a harsh God. But the fact of the matter is, it's amazing that there's any mercy and compassion in the Old Testament. Because truly, whatever the Lord has given to anyone, it's what they deserve. It's what they deserve. And all of us deserve death. All of us deserve judgment because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's only by his mercy, it's only by his grace that you have anything. You know what is most humbling to me? It's not my sin, it's God's grace. What is most humbling to me is God's unmerited favor. And because God's grace humbles me, I'm not going to use grace as a license to sin. Because I see his great grace and his mercy when he's offered to me a free gift, not of my own merit. And that just makes me worship him all the more. That just makes me all the more amazed as to what he's done for me. Because I did nothing to deserve it, except just came to him by faith to receive it. And so, along those lines, I do want to speak to us here this afternoon about the grace of God. About the grace of God. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now last week, we started a series concerning the body of Christ called the beauty of the body when God's people walk in their gift and calling. And I mentioned last week that um, one advantage, or let's say this, one disadvantage to being a brand new church such as we are is that we are starting from scratch. Uh, we don't have a lot of resources financially. We're not known to the community. There's not much things that we've organized. There's not much precedent set. We're starting from scratch. And, and the way that we operate, the way that the, we, we are, this new body of believers that's created Grace River Chapel, there's growth and there's some things that need to occur in this body. And that's one disadvantage. But a great advantage, I said last week, a great advantage to being a brand new church is that you're starting from scratch. And that there's no, there's, there's, we're starting from the ground up and we have the opportunity to establish, establish this church not on tradition, not on a man, not on a man-made ministry, but to establish this church on the rock which is Christ, to establish it 
on the word of God. You know how hard it can be sometimes to contend with tradition. You know how that can be very, very hard. You could have scripture. You could have scripture itself to refute our supposed traditions. And because that's the way we've always done it, people will fight tooth and nail and they will die for that tradition because that's the way we've always done it. And truly, wasn't that the accusation that Jesus made to the Pharisees? You're living for man-made tradition. And you, and you worship the law, but you don't worship the lawgiver. And don't you know that the law and all of it was to point, not to your tradition, but it was to point to me, Jesus was telling them. Moses and the prophets was pointing to me, Jesus Christ. And so you cannot live and die by your tradition. And so that is a great advantage to being a brand new church. We have no traditions as far as this particular body. We all have individual experiences, individually, but corporately we do not. But there is, for that purpose, um, and from that thought, this series has been birthed, that there is a need for all of us to find our place in the body of Christ. There is a need for all of us to use our gifts, which by God's grace... God has given to each and every member. God, by His grace, has given you gifts. And by His grace, He has placed you in a particular portion of the body of Christ. You are a diverse member of the body of Christ. He has put all of us there so that, number one, every other person would be edified. And number two, that Jesus would be glorified through our lives. And so next week, we're going to be handing out a packet called Find Your Place at Grace River Chapel. And it will be a packet that articulates the various ministries and various avenues of ministry that you can participate in in the body of Christ. If you already know your gift, if you know, already know, have a passion, if the Lord has already laid something upon your life, a particular ministry, a particular uh, age group, a particular, um, just anything in particular, this will be your opportunity to volunteer your time, your efforts, to the body of Christ, not for my benefit as your pastor, not so that I can have a bunch of people doing stuff for me, but so that you can be serving one another. Because listen, I can't do everything. You can't do everything. But all of us together, a diverse group of people with various gifts, it's a beautiful thing when you see a healthy church serving one another. And so that is my intent through this series is that we would come to this understanding, see the great importance of walking in our gifts, see the importance of discover, discovering our gifts, and to walk in it as a church body. So, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Last week, we only looked at verses 1 and 2, and we talked about how that we are living sacrifices, and my body is his body. And I'm going to carry on really primarily verses 3 and beyond. But we'll look at verse 1 to start. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly 
than he ought to think. But to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives in liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Next two verses. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. The title here this afternoon is Gifts Expressed from a Servant's Heart. Gifts Expressed from a Servant's Heart. Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank you for every person that is here today, Lord that is a part of your body, that every single one of us are precious in your sight, that you by your grace and by your sovereign will have placed us where we're at. And anything we have is not of our own merit, it's because of what you have given us, God. So let there be a humility in every single one of us. Let there be a cultivation of humility in our lives because without humility, we will abuse one another. Without brotherly affection, we will seek our own and not the best interest of those around us. So God, let these, these very foundational principles take root in our hearts, not just as steps that we take, but make it our spirit. Make it our nature to be a servant, just as you were, Jesus. Make us servants like you. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Gifts expressed from a servant's heart. Before we even, we're not even this week going to go in great detail as to what the gifts are and how they can be expressed from our lives because I want to get down to the root matter of how these gifts must be expressed and the proper use of them with the proper heart and mindset that we ought to have. You can have all kinds of gifts but you can abuse them if you do not have the right intention with them. And so I can go on and on about gifts and you use them, but we have to get down to the root matter of how do you use them? What is the proper mindset and, and content of your character? And what is the nature that you must have to be properly used in the body of Christ? And so next week, we will go into great detail as to the individual gifts. And I may touch on them a little bit here today, but we're going to go in greater detail next week. But today, we're going to talk about the absolute necessity that every single one of us in here today, that we have a servant's heart, that every single one of us are ministry-minded. I want you to know there's a lot of arrogance in the church. And it flows, a lot of it flows from the pulpit down. And my heart's desire here today is to lead you by serving you. That is my heart's desire as a pastor. 
Not for anybody to walk all over me. If somebody does want to walk all over me, make me a doormat. I'll do it for the benefit of somebody else. I'm not talking about being taken advantage of or not being wise, but what I'm saying is that I am here to serve you as your pastor. That a, a leader is one who serves and it's a servant who leads. So I want you to know from the top down, I abhor arrogance, not, not in you, but in me. I abhor pride in Stephen Morgan. And as I go to the Lord, I see things that he tra he's trying to root out of me. There, are, there is prize and there is a desire to be inflated and a desire to have my, my back pad and a desire to be seen. But I want you, my, my sincere desire, just me personally talking to you, I, I want to serve you as your pastor. And I want that to be the nature of this place. I want that to be the very nature of this church. So what are gifts? We keep talking about gifts. What are gifts? That word in the Greek is literally charisma. That word in the Greek for gifts is charisma. Okay? And that, that textbook definition is this. Grace, gifts, or charisma is grace or gifts denoting extraordinary powers distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Christ the reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit. Gifts are those things which are given divinely and sovereignly by God's grace, not because you've earned it or because you have any merit in your own self, but God has given you gifts by His grace so that you would be using those to serve and to edify the body of Jesus Christ. He has given them to you to edify the body of Jesus Christ. And they come by grace. That is divine gratuity or divine grace. And so oftentimes you'll see these, these gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12. They're called gifts of grace or grace gifts. They are given by the unmerited favor of God. And so if you look here at verses Three through, uh, well, actually, verses six through eight, he describes a few gifts here. He talks about prophecy and ministry and teaching and exhortation and giving and leading and showing mercy. He goes through various uh, list, a uh, various uh, list of of gifts. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a generalized list, if you will. It's not exactly exhaustive. And so we will look at these in greater detail next week. All, those, all of those various gifts. But I want you to understand here today that whatever gift the Lord has given you, it doesn't matter if anyone has given you a label or a, a, an official position or if anybody even recognizes what you have. Because... God's gift that he gives to you, it will make room for you. That it is not about anybody recognizing. It is about the Lord allowing himself to be used through you, allowing his gifts to be used in you. And you don't have to worry about, God, I need to be used. Nobody's noticing. Your gift will make room for you. You will be noticed as you allow with a servant's heart, allow yourself to serve the body of Christ 
in the shadows, in the background, if you are content with not having an official label, if you are content with, with no recognition, but you just simply, in simplicity of heart, because you have love and affection for the people of God, you just use what the Lord has given into your hands and you serve people, your gift will make room for you in the body of Christ because God has set you in it. Because God has set you in it. So that's what gifts are. But what is the purpose? As I said earlier, the purpose of the gifts that the Lord gives us is to edify one another and is to glorify the head, which is Jesus Christ. Here's something we have to understand very, very, very closely here today. Very closely. The gift that God gives you is not for you to open. Okay? The gift that God has given you, whether it be teaching, a gift of mercy, a gift of giving, a gift of encouraging, a, a gift to, to sing and lead people into worship, a gift to preach, whatever it is, God has not given it to you into your hand for you to use it on yourself for your own benefit and for your own blessing. He has given you gifts to be a steward of it for the benefit of somebody next to you. Okay? He has not given you a gift for you to now go and open it and use it for yourself. Jesus has been given to us. Jesus is salvation. He is a gift of salvation, and that is a benefit that we personally experience. We all experience the gift of salvation, which is a person, which is Jesus Christ. That's for my personal benefit. We all have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has sent down and has blessed us with. And I am to fully experience the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm to, supposed to personally experience that for myself. But the gifts he gives to you, they are for not you. They are for the Lord. And they are for the people of God. They're not for you. It's, it's kind of like this. It's as if I give Seth a gift. And I say, now, Seth, this is not for you. This is for Lauren. Okay? And it's coming from me. It's not for you. It's for Lauren. And what Seth must do is he must take that gift, take it home, don't open it himself, Go home and give it to Lauren and say, this is for you, not me. This is for you. And as tempting as it may be to open it for yourself and use it on yourself and to be selfish and not tell her about it and not give it to her, the directive is from me, this is for Lauren. Not for you, Seth. It's for Lauren. And that's exactly what the Lord is telling us to do. I've given this thing for you to be a steward of. It's not for your own benefit. You can't be selfish. You can't be a non-participant. It is for the people around you. And so the gifts that the Lord has given us, they can be handled in one of three ways. One of three ways. Whatever it is that the Lord has given into your hand, and you know this, this is of the Lord, there's one of three ways that you can handle these gifts. Number one, they can be unused. They can be unused. You can be a self-serving non-participant. You can be a self-serving non-participant by not walking in the gifts and callings God has given you to benefit others. 
You're reaping the blessings from others serving you, but you're doing nothing to serve people. It's like this. We go to a gift exchange. We just had Christmas. Maybe something like a white elephant, except we're not stealing stuff from each other. You go to a gift exchange. There's 10 people. There ought to be 10 gifts. Everybody comes, and everybody has bought a gift for somebody else. And you show up to this gift exchange. But for you to not use your gift, it's like you showing up to a gift exchange, but leaving your gift at home and still taking a gift and opening it for yourself. That's what it means for you to be a self-serving non-participant, just to sit on the sidelines and watch and let everybody else do stuff and let everybody else serve you. And you get to reap the benefits of people sacrificing and loving and serving you, but you've done nothing to bring your gift to the table. And again, it could be the smallest thing, what we may think is so small. Where, where you just have, you're, you're a minister of mercy and you're able to encourage people and you're able to alleviate people's pain. That's a gift from God. It doesn't have to be preaching. It doesn't have to be teaching. It doesn't have to be anything on the platform. It's any various way in which you can help somebody in the body of Christ. That's what it is. And whatever the Lord has given you, if it is unused, that is a self-serve, that's being a self-serving non-participant. You're showing up to the gift exchange with no gifts, but you're still opening one for yourself. That's one of three ways you can handle the gifts. Number two, another way you can mishandle the gifts is that you can abuse them. That you can abuse what the Lord has given you. And truly, that was the story of the Corinthian church, wasn't it? That they lacked no good gifts. In fact, the only commendation, the only thing he commended them for in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is that I commend you that you fall short in no good gift. You have all the spiritual gifts, but that was the only thing he commended them for because they had all these spiritual gifts, but they were not using them with the right servant's heart, motivated by love, and they were using these gifts to inflate their own selves, to advance their own selves. They were not using it to serve. They were using it to dominate. And so you can abuse what the Lord has given you by using the gift to inflate yourself. And so if Wendy or Dina were up here singing, especially public ministry, when you're up and you're seen on a platform or something, there's a great, there can be a temptation just to perform because you want to be seen. And I'm thankful that that is not their testimony because they minister from the heart. But you can so easily make it all about you, can't you? Look at me. Look how good I can sing. Look at how good I can preach. Look at how good I can cook. And, and, and everything you do is to inflate yourself. It's to make you look better. And everything, your gifts are used as a frame around your own face. Look at me. How, you're, you want to be out in the forefront. Highlight me. See me. Give me recognition. And you abuse those gifts when you have the wrong motive that you would be seen. That you would be seen. Or you use those gifts to belittle others. So it's like this. The same analogy. It's you showing up to the gift exchange with your gift, but you open your own gift for yourself. And you open somebody else's gift that's been given to you. That's what it is to be abusing the gifts that the Lord has given you. 
You use it for yourself, and then you're also, because you're selfish, you're taking from others. And that's abusing. You're inflating yourself and belittling others. And that's really what the Corinthian church was doing. They had all kinds of issues because they were not doing those things with love. They were using the gifts they had to puff themselves up, to inflate themselves, to say, hey, look at me. Instead of serving the people of God so that the people would be edified and ultimately the person of Jesus Christ exalted. Or the third way that these gifts can be used is used biblically. That when the Lord gives you something that's of his grace, of his divine sovereign will, if you will cultivate a heart of love and humility, if you will cultivate a servant's heart and endeavor to edify the people of God so that the glory may all be given to Jesus Christ, you are using those things biblically. You are using those things biblically. So which category do you fall in? There's one of three ways to handle them. You're either going to be a non-participant, a self-serving non-participant, one who does not use what the Lord has given you. Now listen, all of us are tempted with fear. That we are tempted to allow fear to keep us from stepping out in faith. That we should be emboldened to be used of the Lord, but we sit paralyzed in fear because we're afraid of what people may think. Or God, can you really use me? Will you use me? It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for one day, 100 days, 10 years. It doesn't matter. The Lord can use you. The Lord can use you. So do not be paralyzed with fear or doubt. The Lord has a place for you. So in order for the body of Christ to be edified with the gifts God gives us, they must be handled and expressed from a right heart with right motives. And because of the nature and the purpose of gifts, they are most useful when expressed from a servant's heart. They are most useful. They will be used most useful. They will be most beneficial to the people around you if you will endeavor to have a servant's heart. What does it mean to serve? The word is also synonymous with minister. It means to attend to anything that may serve another's interest, to minister a thing to one, to serve one, or by supplying anything. Do you know that I can serve my wife by changing a dirty diaper? I can serve my wife by heating up her coffee for the fifth time. She tends to let her coffee get cold, and she heats it up about five to ten times in any one day. And I've done it for her many times. It's as simple as that. That everything you do, your entire life, it rotates. It is central not to me and how can my needs be met, but how can I meet the needs of somebody else? That's what it is to be a servant. You should be serving your household, not just the church. You should be serving your spouse first, your children, your family, your coworkers. Every person you come in contact with, it is an opportunity to serve them. Opening a door for somebody. Whatever it may be, it is you not thinking of yourself, but thinking, how can I bring blessing and benefit to somebody else? How can I use what the Lord has given me, the life he's given me, the intellect, the gifts, the abilities, the resources, whatever it is, how can I use this to benefit somebody? 
That is how our thinking must be. Must be. Because listen, if that's not the thinking you have, you'll show up to church and you'll say, why are they singing that song? Why are they doing this that way? Why are they doing it that way? Right? You'll become critical. You'll become discontent. But if you are looking for a way to serve, you will not be easily irked and bothered because you have this graciousness, you have this affection for the people of God, you will have mercy and grace upon others because you've experienced this great grace, and you will be there to edify and not pull down. I mentioned the music because that's one of the biggest criticisms I think any church may get. It's the song selection. Listen, I'd rather give much more attention to things that matter than petty issues such as that. Because I've come here not to criticize or pull down. I am here. When I come to church, when I live with my wife, I'm here to build somebody up. I'm here to lift somebody up. I am here to encourage. But when I got to church here, um, without knowing, because I, I had talked to Wendy before church, she had said she needed copies of the lyrics. So when I got here, I didn't have the copies. I only had a few. The printer was messing up. I said, hey, Hunter, can you please go make some copies of the song lyrics? So he, he works, and he, he, it takes a little time for him to get on the other computer and print it off and use the printer here. And he gets all these copies, and then I realize later, it's no fault of Wendy, Wendy had a copy, had this folder of all the, the lyrics in it. And so then I'm like, man, I feel bad that I just made Hunter go make all those copies. And Hunter comes up here, and he goes, here, Wendy, here, Dina. And they're like, oh, we have a copy. And I'm like, Hunter, please don't be mad at me. I, I said, Hunter, I'm so sorry, man. I, you just printed those off. He looked at me, and he goes, oh, man, no big deal. You know, there are some people, you're waiting for them to strike you. I'm talking about a Christian. I just rubbed them the wrong way. Oh, no, here it comes. They're going to lay into me. He looks at me, smiles, no big deal. You know what he said? We've got extra copies now. That's the mindset, though. You, you see the difference? When you're here to accommodate and to serve and build up and bring healing, you're not going to be petty. You're not going to criticize. You're not going to pull down, but you're going to build up the body of Jesus Christ. And everybody has gifts. The question is, in what spirit are you going to use them? That's the question here today. And that's what I really want to get down to is, in what spirit am I going to be used of God or not used? Am I going to send the sidelines or am I going to use it to inflate myself or will I use it to build up the body of Christ? So turn with me now to the most beautiful example of servanthood in John chapter 13. If I have time, I don't know that I will. If I have time, I want to come back to Romans 12 to end if I do have that time. But go to John 13. To further reiterate the necessity of servanthood from the life of Jesus. John 13, I'm going to read that in a moment. But when you look at the life of a Christian, your life is one of laying down and picking up. 
Your life as a Christian is one of laying down and picking up. We see in the Gospels that Jesus told us to lay down our own lives and then pick up the cross. That if you would gain life, if you would save your life, you must lose your life. So there is a simultaneous action of laying down your own rights, laying down your life, laying down to you being the ruler and master of your life, laying it down, losing your life, and then picking up the cross and following Jesus. That's a laying down and picking up. We also see that we are to lay down our sword and to pick up the armor of God. If you recall, when Jesus was in Gethsemane and the, the soldiers came to take him to the high priest, what did Peter do? Peter took out his little sword and he swiped at one of the servants, uh, soldiers there, Malchus, and cut off his ear. And how did Jesus respond? He said, put the sword away. For anyone who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus was telling him, put the sword away. I have not called you to fight in an earthly kingdom. I have not called you to fight in an earthly military. I have called you, I have called you to a spiritual fight because the weapons are your, of your warfare are not carnal. We are not called to take up arms and fight the devil. We are called to put on the armor of God and embark in a spiritual battle, to embark in spiritual warfare that has nothing to do with the power and might of your strength. So there has to be a laying down of your own power and strength. There has to be a laying down of your confidence in the sword, if you will, and establishing a confidence in the spiritual realm. Jesus told Pilate, if my servants, if I was the king of the Jews, and if my servants were of this world, they would fight. But because they are the servants of the kingdom of God and they hear my voice and my voice is truth, they do fight for me, but they fight for me in a spiritual realm. They don't take up physical arms. They don't take up a physical sword. They lay down their swords and they pick up spiritual weapons. Do you know that a religion such as Islam has spread by the edge of the sword? Do you know how Christianity spread? By death at the edge of the sword. We often think, we often uh, correlate patriotism to Christianity. We oftentimes talk about the great bravery of the patriots uh, of America and our founding fathers. But nowhere do you see in, in the realm of God's kingdom, nowhere do you see God calling us to start a revolution with a sword. Does it mean that there are people in a country who have to defend themselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what we are called to do, we are called to lay down our swords and pick up our spiritual armor and walk in the power and might of the Holy Spirit. There's a laying down and there's a picking up. Picking up. And then thirdly, we have to lay down our scepters and pick up our towels. You know what a scepter is? A scepter was this sign of authority, a sign of rulership, a, a sign of sovereignty, a sign of lordship that a king or a noble person would carry. This ornate stick, if you will, this scepter. And it was a sign of authority, 
a sign of lordship, a sign of power. But the Lord is calling every single one of us to lay down a scepter and pick up a towel. Because when we contend for a scepter, we're contending to lord it over people. We are contending to lord our power, our influence over people with a strong hand. If you recall in Mark chapter 10, there's a couple occasions actually where the disciples are discussing who's going to be the greatest when Jesus becomes king in Jerusalem. They're discussing who is going to be the greatest. And even in, in fact, for James and John, their mother came up to Jesus and said, I have a request. Would you let my son sit on your left hand and on your right hand when you come into your glory? Will you let them rule and reign with a scepter in their hand? Will you make them great? Will you give them authority and power? Will you do that for them? And Jesus said, it's not for me to give. It's not for me to do this. And then he, and then he says this. He says, do not be as the Gentiles. For in fact, the Gentiles lord their authority over others. But if you will be great, the one who is great amongst you is the one who is the least of you. If you will be great in the kingdom of God, it is by coming a slave and servant to the Lord and to people. Lay down your scepter and your desire to be seen in a place of authority. Lay it down and then pick up what? Pick up a towel. That's how, that's how the kingdom of God works. When we would lay down our own rights, we would lay down our lives, our own dreams and ambitions, and pick up the cross. And when you pick up the cross, that gives you the power to walk with spiritual weapons. And that gives you the power to serve people. The cross leads you to a place of service. For the cross is the very representation of one who gave everything for you. That is Jesus Christ came down from heaven, became man. God humbled himself and died for you on the most scandalous, in the most scandalous way that he ever could in the first century upon a cross, completely naked and died for you. That's the life of love. That's the life of service. And that is what, when we pick up the cross and follow the Lord, that is what he's calling us to as well. And in that comes true power. In that comes true power. You know it's easy to fight back. You know it's easy to punch back. It's easy to, to, to talk back and to respond in kind because that's what's natural to our flesh. But do you know what it takes a supernatural ability outside of our own to love our enemies, to pray for those who use us and persecute us? It takes a supernatural divine love that allows us to go the second mile and to turn the other cheek. That is a supernatural life. By the power of the cross. And so he's asking us by his power to lay down our swords, to lay down our scepters, and to pick up our towels. So John 13, verse 1. This is the Passover meal. This is just before he's about to be crucified. This is just before Jesus is about to be killed for doing absolutely nothing. And so he's about to institute the Lord's Supper, but he's also about to make a very, very profound teaching out of this 
time together with his disciples. So look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, knowing, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. So in light of the coming suffering and affliction and death, knowing that he had loved his own, loved them even to the end, knowing that Judas Iscariot had already made the betrayal and the deal, knowing all of this, he's about to enter the greatest moment of agony and suffering in his entire life. In light of all of this, how does Jesus respond? He's not preoccupied with the agony he's about to see, about to experience. He's not preoccupied with the betrayal of Judas. Here's what he's preoccupied with. Look at verse 4. So with all that being said, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He rose from supper. He laid aside his own garments and he took the very appearance of a servant in physical form. His entire life was one of servanthood. But in this moment, at the most crucial time in his life, in all of human history, where the Son of God was about to be tortured and killed for the sins of the world, and that the Father was going to forsake him in that moment. In that very moment, Jesus was not concerned with himself. He was concerned with teaching these 12 disciples, these 11 disciples really, teaching them, this is what allows me to go to the cross. This is what will allow you to spread Christianity, not by your power and strength and might, not by the power of the sword, not by your authority and, and riches and nobility. It is by your service, by your love, by laying your life down for the benefit of somebody else. This is what you must become, disciples. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And so he put aside his own garments. He girded himself with a servant's towel. He took on the very appearance of a servant. He poured water into a basin. And he began to wash his servant's feet. We know what this. We know how nasty this is. We know that this is in the first century. There's not running water. There's not uh, the, the, the hygiene products that we could have. They're dirty, nasty Sweaty, smelly feet. Many people cannot stand feet. They can't even look at other people's feet. They can't touch feet. Some people just have, have a thing with a fear of feet. Because that's what we're walking on. That's what it sweats and it gets dirty and they smell bad. And Jesus, the Son of God, puts this water in a basin, he begins to wash their feet. And then Peter, of course, he responds in verse 6. Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. You see, they don't even realize, they still don't get it. He's about to be crucified. They still don't know what's about to happen. 
They, they still have not snapped to the reality, even though he has clearly told them the Son of Man's going to be given over to the high priest and crucified, and then he's going to die in three days, he's going to rise again. They still didn't get this, literally. He's saying, you're going to know later what I'm doing. You're going to realize later. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Go down to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your teacher, your Lord, God of the universe, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who has sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let me make a few points of application. I know I'm not going to be able to get back to Romans. We'll pick that up next week and go into greater depth in Romans chapter 12. But let me make a few points of application from these scriptures and apply it to our lives. Four points, very quickly. God's love, and we say we love God, if we say we love people, God's love will always, will always express itself in humble acts of service. If you say you love God, if you say you love God's people, it is never detached from action. Love is not something you feel. Love is something you do. It is not feelings and emotions. You do not love people and serve people because it feels good in the moment. You do not do it because you're going to get something in return. You are doing it because of this agape love, this God-given love within you that will always lead to humble acts of service. It will always lead to action. How did Jesus end this, this, um, this whole scene with him? Look at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so when you come to the church, when you come to the body of Christ, you are to use what the Lord has given you where the Lord has placed you to edify the people. But all the while, when you are loving people, when you are serving people, when you're being used for the benefit of somebody else, it is a beautiful expression for the world to see that these people are different. These people care for each other. They weep when another weeps. They rejoice when another rejoices. They take care of each other. Because everybody will know that you're disciples of Jesus Christ. Not by lording your authority, not by your pride and inflating yourself at the cost of somebody else. It is by you loving people with humble acts of service. It is the expression of love 
towards the people around you. They will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. You can never, never overemphasize the love of God. It's necessity to take root into our lives. Because without it, you cannot serve. Without it, you cannot obey the Lord. Without it, you cannot be faithful to Him and faithful to His people. It has to come from this deep-seated love for Jesus Christ and love for His body. If you love the head, you're going to love the body. If you love the head, you're going to love the body. And it's going to be expressed expressed through your life. It's going to be shown. For when you do these things, blessed are you. So it is, number one, God's love will always express itself in humble acts of service. And number two, none of us are exempt from serving. None of us, none of us have any right to be an observer. None of us have any right to sit on the sidelines and simply watch. Now, if you're not a Christian, you are on the sidelines. You're not a member of the body of Christ. Not a member of this church. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're not a Christian, if you're not a blood-bought child of God, you are an outsider looking in, if you will. But the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord, you are immediately a part of the body of Christ, and you are a part of it. But none of us are exempt from serving. And although Peter had observed Jesus' humble service to others during his ministry, Peter is absolutely stunned that Jesus, his Lord and Master, the Messiah, would condescend to such depths to wash his feet. And the reason Jesus told Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you can have no part in me. Because Peter is thinking, if Jesus, if you're washing my feet which is very embarrassing for me. I feel like you're condescending way below than you ought to, but there's a huge implication here. If you, my Lord, are washing people's feet, that means, as Jesus indicated later, that I will be doing the same. I'm going to have to do the same. And by Jesus saying, unless you let me do this, you'll have no part in me. Peter, if you don't see me doing this, you will not do it. And thus, you will not walk in the will of the Lord in regards to the people of God and serving them. Listen, in regards to none of us being exempt, none of us are too important to serve others. It doesn't matter if it's the pastor, the children's minister, the person working in the media booth. None of us are ever too important, too haughty, too great to serve somebody. As we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, which is our primary scripture, we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Does it mean that we should be cruel about our own selves? No. But we should have a right opinion about ourselves. We should have an inflated view of ourselves. We shouldn't have a false humility. We should have a true biblical humility. No matter the positions we hold in life, where you live, the job you have, you are never too superior that you cannot condescend to the lowest place of service. If it's a toilet that I need to wash, I will gladly wash it. If it's your feet I need to wash, I will gladly wash it. If it's whatever it is, I am not so superior. I have not arrived at the place where I am too haughty and great to condescend and serve in any capacity. None of us are too important to serve any person. 
None of us. None of us are too busy to serve others. How many of you are busy? We're all busy. You talk to anybody. Everybody's busy. Everybody's busy. Try pastoring a church, having a full-time job, and trying to be the best father and husband you can be. I'm busy. But I'm not here to throw a pity party because I'm not too busy to serve somebody. I cannot use that to justify me just to sit there and entertain myself and take pleasure in my own alone time when I can, when I can serve somebody. I'm never too busy to stop and give attention to somebody, to give attention to somebody. If, if, if I'm in a parking lot, a gas station, a restaurant parking lot, Sometimes, you know, somebody will come along asking for money. And they're walking through the, the parking lot asking people for money. I have always endeavored, though I may not always give them money, I have always endeavored not to blow those people off. And this is not speaking great of Stephen Morgan. I just, I cannot treat them, I cannot treat them badly. I can't blow them off. I can't automatically assume you're just trying to, to take advantage Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But they're a, a person made in the image of God who God wants to save. And you never know what kind of encounter could lead to somebody being saved if you, if you would just stop what you're doing and give attention, give time to somebody else and not just blow them off because you have preconceived ideas. We're never too busy to serve somebody. All of us can stop long enough to meet the needs of somebody else. And oftentimes when we see a need, we will justify our lack of action by our busyness. But oftentimes it's a fabrication in our own minds because we don't want to inconvenience ourselves. Sometimes you don't have the time, but a lot of times we do. A lot of times we do. None of us can be too hurt so as to exempt, be exempt from serving others. How many of you have ever been hurt? You've been hurt by people. You've even been hurt by the church. And how many people lose out with God or they just check out because they've been hurt by people. They've been hurt by the pastor. They've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt. And so they allow that in selfishness, they allow that to cause them just to check out and leave. But you're never too hurt not to stop and serve somebody. Do you know that Jesus... He washed 12 disciples' feet. You know who one of those was? Judas, who had already betrayed him for 30, for a measly 30 pieces of silver. He had already betrayed him, which was, was going to lead to his death upon a cross. And Jesus is still expressing his deep love and desire for the heart of Judas by kneeling down before him, the man who's leading to his murder, and washing his nasty feet washing the dirty feet of a dirty man, and he's still serving him. How hurtful would that be? You're giving all you are to this man for three whole years. You've done nothing but love and be an example to him. And he's seen all kinds of supernatural miracles, and yet he still betrays you for money. And yet Jesus is still washing Judas's feet. He knows it's a done deal. He knows Judas is going to kill his own self. He knows Judas. He knows the whole end. He knows. He sees it all. And yet he still washes his feet. Do you think you're too hurt not to serve somebody, not to love somebody, not to still give yourself? 
Listen, the, the only thing that can heal you is the Lord. The only thing, that, only thing that can heal you is forgiveness and letting go of the past and letting go of bitterness and walking in the, the same forgiveness that you've reaped from Jesus Christ himself. We're never justified to walk in our pity party. We're never justified to walk in bitterness and unforgiveness because we have been forgiven much and we're to walk in the same spirit of Christ. So we're never too hurt or exempt to be exempt from serving others. And no one is ever too insignificant, dirty, or unworthy for us to serve. Jesus served the prostitute. He served the tax collector. He served the Gentile. He served the Samaritan. He served everybody. No one was too far beneath the Lord for him not to show an expression of God's love. No one is ever too insignificant. What is your mindset towards people? You may not express it outwardly with your mouth, but what is your mindset towards people? Is there a condescending attitude towards others? Is, is, there, is, there, is there a feeling of this person is not worthy of my service because they are X, Y, Z. They've done this or that. Is there, a, is there any tinge of that in your life? The Lord can remove that. It's his desire to remove it because that is a hindrance to you serving even the most unworthy, even the most prideful person, even the selfish person, even the thief. It doesn't matter who it is. You can still love and serve these individuals. Matthew Henry says this in his commentary. To whatever degree our master was pleased to condescend to a to in favor to us, we should much more condescend to in conformity to him. Christ, by humbling himself, has dignified humility. I just think that's brilliant. Christ, who is our prime example, in humbling himself, has brought dignity to humility and put an honor upon it and insisted that his followers would think that nothing was below them except sin. When we see our master serving, we cannot but see how ungodly it becomes us to be domineering. Our haughtiness, our pride, our condescending attitude is a stench in the nostrils of God. But what is a pleasing aroma and sacrifice to the Lord is the one who is a living sacrifice, one who lays their life on the altar, not physical, but spiritually. You lay your own life down and you say, Lord, I am a living sacrifice laid out before you for your service and for the benefit of others. And that comes up to the Lord as a sweet-smelling aroma. He is pleased and delighted with that. What aroma is coming from your life? What aroma is coming from your life? The self-serving non-participant is giving off a stench. The one who is abusing the gifts the Lord has given them is giving off a stench. But the one who is walking in sacrifice and love and service, and though it may not feel good in the moment, and though you're betrayed, and though you are harmed by others, and, and, and though you're out time and resources and money, it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord because you're being broken for the benefit of of the kingdom of God. And he takes great pleasure in that. And so the life of a Christian is one of seeming contradiction. 
The way up is down for us. If we want to be a great church, if we want to be a church that blesses this community, if we want people to to come here and be touched by the Lord and touched by us, the way up is down. The way up is down. If we want recognition, if we want to be used, it is by seeking, by seeking second place. It is by being okay with being second, being in the background, being in the shadows. The way up is down. We never, we never ought to advance ourselves. Advancement comes from the Lord. Our task is to humble ourselves, and it is the Lord who will lift us up. You lift yourself up, and you will be humiliated. But he who humbles himself will always be exalted by the Lord. So if we want to be used by the Lord, we have to be motivated by a desire to serve people and let him take care of the recognition. Let him take care of blessing us. Let him take care of us getting proper um, recognition from whomever for whatever we may do. The way up is down. The desire to be first, to be seen, to be superior is contrary to the Spirit of God. The passion to be great had continually plagued the disciples, and on numerous occasions, Jesus had to correct their mindsets. And by washing their feet, he is solidifying the spirit in which he came, and it would be completely consummated when he is hanging upon a cross. Peter, now you understand what I'm doing. This is my spirit. This is the nature in which I have ministered. This is what God has anointed me for as the Christ, to live in such a manner for the benefit of others. And now you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. And anything less, we are walking outside the will of God. If, there, if we are walking in anything less than what God, through Jesus, has exemplified to us, we are not walking in the will of God. You may have healings. You may have prophecy. You may have tongues, which I want all of those. I want all of those. You may have all these things, but you may have people whose needs are not met because we're using those things to abuse one another and to inflate ourselves. You can have all those things, but what I ask are the fruit of the Spirit manifest in this place. Is there love, joy, peace, faithfulness, goodness, self-control? Are we loving people, with, loving each other with a brotherly affection, looking out for the interests, not of ourselves, but the interests of others? That's a supernatural lifestyle. That is a life pointing to Jesus Christ. Seth, could you come help me, please, with the guitar? Wendy and Dina, please come. And Jesus says, if you know these things, and if you do them, you will be blessed. So the question is, though we may know these things in our minds, though we may have this teaching and this instruction, where the rubber meets the road is, will you obey? Will you die to yourself? Will you pick up the cross? Will you lay down the sword? Will you lay down the scepter and walk in the Spirit and walk with the towel in hand. Will you do those things? Or will you continue to contend for your own rights? Will you continue to contend for your own recognition? 
Blessed are you only if you do them. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to what? Receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Because when everybody is giving, your needs will be met. Because somebody else is tending to you as you tend to somebody else. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That is God's will and intention for this church. Would you stand with me? We'll pick up in Romans chapter 12 next week. But I think in many circles of Christianity, this is lost. Because listen, we do have power. We do have authority. We do have many things in Christ Jesus. But nothing is acquired and no deliverance is had except first by death to self, except by humility. What allows you to walk in authority is your desire and your willingness to humble yourself. And we cannot have a preoccupation with things that are valued by this world when God does not value it. He does not value power or might of the flesh. He values a contrite spirit, a broken heart. That is who the Lord dwells with. That, who, that is who he is pleased by, and that is who he empowers. That is who he uses because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And those who have the grace of the Lord, they are always used by him. Would you pray with me? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, help us, God.